This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody. With me is Shay Dixon in just a second. Uh, first, LSU is coming off of a 38-27 season opening loss to UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Max Johnson and Kayshawn Butte combining for three touchdowns wasn't enough. Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the UCLA offense pulled away with two fourth-quarter touchdowns. And LSU, uh, quite honestly, looked um, all over the place. You know, there were moments they looked good, but for the most part, this UCLA team looked more athletic. Uh, they looked more focused, and they were certainly able to execute better. And so let's go ahead and bring in Shay Dixon of Go247.com, and let's lead off with our biggest takeaway from the game and the and the biggest, our one big thing we needed to react to. Uh, Shay, welcome back from Los Angeles. Uh, what are you going with as LSU now has to circle the wagons uh, and get this thing back on track quickly? Yeah, I mean, I'll start out by saying I was – I didn't think they would lose. That'd be one thing. More so, I guess I was most, my biggest takeaway, my biggest surprise was that this didn't feel like they went 0-1. It felt like that they went 5-6 and now. And and I mean that a year ago, they finished 5-5 and and a lot of, almost all of the same little problem areas that we saw a year ago, despite a full offseason to prepare a new, you know, you've overhauled the entire staff, you've got two new coordinators, and we just didn't see a lot that looked different in terms of Things that were giving them trouble continued to, whether that was guys blowing coverages on defense, linebackers getting worked in the passing game, crossing routes hurting them, uh, bad you know fits in the run game, and, and then not running the football at all, not being able to. Uh, all of those things sort of compounded into one for me For that I was most surprised that it just looked like it did a year ago. And, and I'm sure you're going to answer this or at least chime in more on it, but a big part of that also was that UCLA was more physical, and I did not expect that to be the case. I've got to give Chip Kelly and his staff a lot of credit here because what we saw when you go back and you watch the UCLA-Hawaii game, it wasn't on this level by any means. I mean, Hawaii was looked putrid against UCLA, but UCLA did a lot of the same things. You know, they used two strong running backs. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson uh, was much better in the passing game uh, this game uh, than he was against Hawaii, which kind of surprised me. Um, and they just looked aggressive. They looked fast. Uh, like you said, Shay, they looked physical. And LSU, the thing about it for me is, as you went into this one and looked at some of the matchups, and I think Jay Ward being out uh, certainly hurt LSU in a big way. Um, and LSU was out without a handful of other players, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I, for me, I think the offensive line, is as bad as I've seen a unit in quite some time overall. You know, I think they're all over the place. Yes, Cam Wire leaving uh, didn't help. Austin Deculus didn't help. 
Um, they shuffled in guys here and there trying to get a fix. Charles Turner was in their left half. I mean, it was all over the place that they were looking for answers for this UCLA front. And quite honestly, uh, they had very little. Uh, Max Johnson was under duress. A lot of the night uh, leads to things like that crazy backward behind the back pass he tried. Uh, leads to 47 total yards rushing. I didn't think LSU would uh, be able to run the ball at a dominant pace, but I did expect them to look a little bit better on offense and particularly the offensive line. But instead, what we're seeing, quite honestly, is the result of missed evaluations, lack of, lack of physicality, um, guys topping out. You know, I, I I think this offensive line is is in far worse shape than, you know, quite honestly, I even thought it could be heading into camp and heading into the season. It's a it's a unit that everybody circled as a question mark. You know, can they turn it around? Can they be better? And we found out week one that they've got a long, long way to go if they're going to be able to help this offense be anything Um like Ed Ogeron and Jake Peets and this entire staff want it to be, which is at the very least efficient. Um, but right now it just looks like the Max Johnson and Kayshawn Butte show whenever they get a chance to actually connect. But this offensive line is in far worse shape than even I thought. Yeah, the O-line's a worry. And look, and, and we'll talk about this more in the podcast because we're going to talk about the guys who are out this weekend. But the continuity on the O-line was terrible and they didn't get any push in the run game. Ingram, maybe their best offensive lineman, or at least that's what we had presumed, looked rough out there and, and one of the worst ones, which was surprising to me on Saturday. So, and I also now see that they've got about three guys behind them that they can trust that they're playing and they're playing them, Charles Turner in multiple spots. So, my fear is, and, and like I said, we'll talk about this at the end of the podcast, but that if you're losing guys or you're having to shuffle in and out, how much better you get with continuity? And the answer is probably not very much better. So, I'm wondering and and hopeful for LSU's case that they can get this figured out. But for a team to have returning all five starters, and I think now it's starting to ring true, they weren't good a year ago. So then you would have hoped that an offseason would have of development, of working out, of conditioning, of of coaching would have all risen the level of their game. And as a collective unit, they looked worse than last year, which is a really scary thing to think when you're about to face up against a lot of SEC teams with D lines that are just as good as and in many cases, better than UCLA. I agree. And so that has a huge impact on, on Jake Pete's showing, just like, you know, Jay Ward leaving the game did for Durante Jones's unit and how they were doing. You know, I think their problems were pretty easy to, to tackle, but let's lead off of Jake Pete's. You know, uh, they, they passed the ball fairly well, not consistent enough. Uh, obviously, the protection was an issue. Run game was non-existent. What do you think of Jake Pete's uh, performance in, in game one? Oh, and I'll, I thought it was lackluster. I thought it lacked a lot of creativity. And I think that O said it. And, and I'll keep my answer short here. Let's just look at the run game. Because, look, the, I like that they went to the quick passing game. That was the only option when the O-line wasn't blocking anybody all night. They had to just try to get the ball into the hands of Butte. A lot of times they were trying to get it to Palmer as much as they could and as quickly as they could. But for the run game to average less than two yards a carry and for there only to be two runs that they called all game, they never went outside. They never found the edge. And after the game, Orgeron said, look, one thing I know I'm fixing right away is I don't know why Jake Peach is only running two plays all game. Why were we just – why were those the two plays we kept on running? And 
he explained it more today when we met with him. He said in the offseason, we circled five plays that are our favorite run plays and we'll add more from there. But those are all done out of different sets and different looks and different motions. And and you can do different things to disguise what the run actually is. But that UCLA's blitz came and and kind of quickly forced Jake Peets to to kind of tighten up. And he said by the end of it, he had just gotten down to one or two plays. That he felt like they could run right then. Now, look, I'm not a football savant. I haven't broken down all the film. But the reality, what was telling to me, and I think it was also telling because they were getting the play in one and two seconds before the clock off the side, you know, relayed into them every time is that it was, it looked like the debut. And then I'll let you answer about the defense because I thought it was the same thing. To me, it looked like both coordinators had never coached or never called a game at this level before because they haven't. So you've hired two coordinators who, yes, might be talented. Yes, can get the job done, but you threw them out there in the fire in week one and they couldn't adjust to anything. And I think it goes back to, look, that was <laughs> Jake Peach is a quarterback's coach a year ago in the NFL. Durante Jones was a DB coach, a safeties coach a year ago in the NFL. Now those guys are being tasked with facing a Chip Kelly team that was completely out scheming them. And they had no answer, Billy. I didn't see really maybe more than once or twice where LSU adjusted to something and were able to work, maybe the quick passing game, were able to do some things with it. And it's funny, and, and I'll let you answer it, but I've had people almost a 50-50 split of being more upset with Pete's or more upset with Durante Jones. And I think that drives home just how bad and frustrating it was to watch. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, completely agree with you on, on the Jake Pete's uh, train there. You know, there wasn't creativity. There wasn't, you know, like Ed Ogeron said, you know, I think somebody dire- directly asked him, it might have been you, Shay. <laughs> Are we going to see more of Jack Besh in the, in the offense? Or, or I think you said, you know, what do you think? And he said, yes, need to see more of them. You know, that that pass he caught, you know, over the over on the far sideline, you know, he ran a sail route, I think is what it was. And that was great. That got him open. It got matched up on a on a bigger linebacker. And that's what Jack Besh can do. That's kind of his role. It's carved out. It's defined. But that's the same thing UCLA did uh, against LSU's linebackers, just kind of took advantage of, quite honestly, them being slow and not able to cover uh, and, and did it at a high level. And that that's the thing with I think Durante Jones's performance that you almost sit there and you say okay well it, what can be fixed now and and what's his fault so to speak versus what is limited overall because people were wondering well, why didn't we see Mike Jones Jr. much out there at all and you know quite honestly you're talking with Anna Hickey who covered Clemson covers Clemson for us she kind of said hey temper your expectations a little bit on Mike Jones Jr. He was getting overtaken for a reason. And while he graded out well in PFF, you know, just temper your expectations. And both him and Bug Strong, you know, just quite honestly didn't play much. And, you know, Damone Clark and Micah Baskerville struggled in coverage. And then when Jay Ward went out, the safeties continued to struggle in coverage, just like they had before Jay Ward was back there. And um, it, it just didn't get any better. And I think part of that is, is, you know, you have this defensive line that you're expecting to get to get after the quarterback every single play or slow down the run and do this or that, and they just weren't able to. And I think there's some things that are going to hold them back, like being on the same page of setting the edge. Or if you're Mason Smith, you know, I saw them, you know, readjusting where he was, you know, next to Neil Farrell, you know, last minute. So he's still getting his feet wet in the scheme. And then the linebackers just were as lackluster as they were for the most part last year. And that's going to be the issue is getting these guys a little bit more on the same page. 
not every team is going to be able to do what UCLA did uh, against LSU. You know, Mississippi State, I don't want to say they're not built to because they just did it a year ago, but it's just different. Uh, they're going to come up with their own ways to, to try and out-scheme LSU's defense. But, you know, you look at Ole Miss, you look at Alabama, and those teams are going to be able to scheme up how to get their tight end, match, match up on a linebacker, how to create a mismatch. And it's going to look just like it did against UCLA. And that's the thing that's kind of scary when we'll talk about what's next and what's ahead for this team. But there are some glaring personnel issues that they're going to have to fix. And as they get healthy, maybe they will. You know, Sage Ryan even played linebacker in high school. You know, how does he how does he look, you know, when healthy, if he's able to pick things up doing something like that? Because it's just a team that is so limited right now because of the personnel that they've recruited and they have on the defensive side of the ball in the back seven. Yeah, I think there's a lot that that sort of, man, I don't even know where to turn on, on half these times. But when I look at what you can get fixed moving forward, right? We talked about this before the podcast. Like, okay, the the OC and the DC didn't have a great game, you know, debut. Can they settle in? You didn't do a number of things well. You know, you gave up the crossing routes. Can you fix that? You know that I do believe that Orgeron's going to go in there and tell Jake Peets, we're running the ball outside of the edge. We're doing – get some creativity here, and, and I think they'll do that. But when you ask about this overarching thing of – can they fix it? Is this a, a, something that's a wholesale thing that can get fixed? And and we'll blend now because our next topic, our fourth out of five, we'll be talking about injuries and guys that just want to play this weekend. Two of them are Austin Deculus and Cam Wire. That's your starting left tackle and your starting right tackle. And I think that Orgeron made, and for me, I'll, I'll kind of answer this question, can it all get fixed? I would put the O-line up there just as much even as the gaffes on defense as something that you have to get fixed because if it continues to look like that, you can't run the football at all and basically ail on it in that game. And you can't protect the quarterback and Max Johnson's running backwards and throwing off the, his back foot and really given little time. And then you're having to, to get down into some sort of quick passing game just to be able to move the football. And, and that's just not, that doesn't have any long-term stability. You know, that, that's not a viable option to go through the entire season with. So I think the O-line is the one thing that I say, Man, they have to like that is the biggest question mark of can they fix it? Because as I said, Deculus and Wire, your two starting tackles aren't playing this weekend. Okay, that would have been a good time for everyone to get on the same page because Orgeron said, Look, I, I don't I'm, I'm, I have faith in all these different areas. But when he was mentioning the O line, he said they were losing in camp. But he said, Look, I, I don't know how they'll look out of the gates because a lot of them haven't been out there. They were sitting Hines and Bradford and um, wire and all these guys at different Ed Ingram at different points in camp to where they were never out there all at once. Right. Billy, that all five of them weren't just going through every week of practice, getting their reps and getting the timing, understanding everything that needed to be done uh, and playing as one. Now you're going to go this game and put two new guys in at left tackle. Then you're going to go into central Michigan. Maybe you're still thinking, okay, well, we can win. Let's get Deculus and wire healthy again. Well, by the time, time they get into SEC play what they're throwing them back in the starting lineup and now you've gone a month or three or four weeks or whatever it is three weeks without one consistent unit and I don't think that that's that doesn't spell to me that they're going to turn things around so I'm almost as fearful as we and we'll shift into the injury stuff here in a second guys that are be gone but I was off the offensive line this weekend which I understand they're banged up they got out physical against UCLA and 
you don't want to risk those guys getting further injured, but that's putting a, to me, a real press pause moment onto the development of what should be your starting five. Absolutely. And it goes back to kind of recruiting in a way, you know, can they, can they fix certain things uh, this year? They're held back a little bit by some of their evaluations, you know, right now, the 2019 class of uh, offensive linemen, not, not giving you much, you know, I mean, Anthony Bradford is the only one that they're kind of, you know, I think really kind of leaning on uh, Charles Turner too, but like, it's not, they're not at the level, I think right now, ready to be counted on in prime time and be ready to go. And that's the thing that is going to be interesting. You know, we heard right off the bat that Garrett Dellinger passed this guy and passed that guy. And he was a backup left tackle going into the, into the season before he got hurt. And now, you know, that's going to, you know, as he gets back in, will that be the case? You know, we'll see, but it's, uh, it's all over the place right now on the offense line. And they're just going to have to throw these guys into the fire and let, and see who rises to the top. Because at this point you tried, you, you could have done that in camp, but you had to be careful because of depth and this and that. And it's, it, they've got to get this situation figured out and at least find the, the best five, whether that's moving guys around and, you know, maybe an, uh, an Ed Ingram gets moved or somebody, maybe right guard needs a new face. Maybe Austin Deculus kicks inside. I mean, every, board poster that's talked about offensive line on go 24 seven over the past couple of years, no offense to Austin Deculus has said, man, I think he should play right guard. And so they've got to get drastic uh, with that offensive line and at least find the best five that they can. Uh, that's going to stay healthy and be maybe as consistent as they can find before sec play. So they've got some other positions that they're going to need to find answers to as well. Uh, I think some of the injury and academic updates that you're going to give Shea, uh, will help with that eventually when these guys are ready to play again, uh, because there's some veterans uh, on LSU's team that just aren't able to contribute right now. Yeah, you look at it, we'll run it down. Um, academically speaking, at least they've got John Emery, John, who's you know one of their starting running backs, and, and maybe with Ty Davis Price, if he doesn't take off, Emery is the guy that you want to be your starting running back, and he wasn't available. He made the trip, he was on the sidelines, but he wasn't eligible to play in the game that's academic-related. And John Trey Kirkland, a wide receiver, a veteran, wasn't playing in the game. We're told that's academic-related. And Sonny Fanua, who is one of their backup DNs and, and really could be a guy who can set the edge for you. He's one of their bigger DNs in that sense. He wasn't available, and it doesn't look like he'll play this weekend because of academics. And then you go down the list. We already knew Miles Brennan and Glenn Logan, who a quarterback, and, and Logan being a starting defensive tackle are out for about a month now. Josh White joined that group before the season as a backup linebacker who's going to be out, it sounds like at least about a month, and, and we'll see where it goes from there with an injury. Uh, and I believe that one required surgery, but it doesn't sound as serious, for instance, as a guy like Jared Small at linebacker, who a former walk-on out of Catholic, a fifth-year guy, he's played all the special teams he can. They put him on the depth chart as a starter. Lo and behold, a few days, within a week of that opening game against UCLA, he tears up his knee and he's out for the season. And now you're starting to run into this kind of scary point of, Okay, maybe Wire and Deculus aren't banged up long-term, but they're not playing this weekend. Then you hear Ollie Gay's a little bit banged up. They're going to hold him out this weekend. He's maybe the best guy you have on the defensive line right now, or at least one of them, certainly. And then Jay Ward, who the second he went down, they just started picking on him. I mean, it was going right after Todd Harris, who then got banged up. And then you've got 
Jordan tolls out there with major burns and they just weren't on the same page. They weren't reading uh, the keys correctly. They weren't in, you know, the spots to make plays on the one with a tight end where he runs for 75 yards. And, and that was kind of right across major burns. And, and I believe at that point, Todd Harris was in the game, but they quickly tied up and, and they kind of picked immediately on when Jay Ward had left. And it sounds, and, and you could have watched the game. You saw what happened. Jay Ward took a hit. So when he goes into a concussion protocol, you're not putting him back out there then. But Orgeron said he's kind of day-to-day, like, right? They're monitoring it, obviously. But do you put him out there this weekend? Or do you say, hey, rest up and just get healthy for next week and we'll take it from there? And maybe that's a smart plan. You can probably beat McNeese. You should be beating McNeese without these guys. But you're still just moving more and more towards this kind of uncomfortable feeling of where's the continuity going to come from if you're got guys just in and out of practice and in and out of the lineup seemingly throughout all of camp into week one, now into week two, that SEC schedule, Billy, is going to arrive quicker than people are thinking here. And uh, sure, if all the guys are the majority of them are back by then, great. But as I said with the O-line, it's kind of like playing for the first time then because they had never all been on the field together yet this season. It's it's worrisome for me to, to see that. But I think they get, I think Neighbors is out a few more games. Malik, receiver, obviously, uh, or is Ron comment on that before the game. But um, Deion Smith had said he was only missing the one game, so we may get to see some of the freshmen uh, there this week. I know Armani Goodwin, their freshman running back, has been banged up, and, and Orgeron said he would not play against UCLA. We haven't heard anything about him maybe getting back into the action against uh, McNeese. I would guess not, considering today that Orgeron said he wanted to get Corey Kiner more involved. So, uh, And he's obviously the other freshman running back that signed alongside Goodwin. So it's... It, that's just kind of how I keep coming back to it. They'll be able to beat McNeese. I'm not saying that, but I'm worried at this point about the continuity of the entire team. If guys are just in and out and I understand it's McNeese and it's central Michigan that if you got guys banged up, that's the time to arrest them, but it doesn't do you any favors when you're going to roll over to Mississippi state, Kentucky, Auburn, which are very much middle of the road sec teams that can beat you. And you're sort of still kind of trying to find a sense of, of normalcy of, Hey, this is our starting 22 and we feel good about it. Instead, they're just playing this mix and match game seemingly to get them through each week. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head and, and I'll, I'll end quickly by saying, who do I want to see play, play more Saturday? And I don't even know if I can answer this question, right? Because who knows who's able to play. I mean, guys, I want to see play. I want to see Dion Smith. I want to see Malik neighbors, Armani Goodwin, Corey Kiner. I mean, I'm not, talk about blowing this thing up just yet and going with the youth movement, but what they have to get out on Chris Hilton, they've got to get more team speed out there. And I don't care how they do it. I don't care how it happens. If uh, they need to move uh, a um, Jordan tolls to linebacker or Sage Ryan, if healthy to linebacker or what have you, and they might not have to do it against McNeese, but they might have to do it against teams like Ole Miss I mean, do you remember when when LSU had such issues getting after the quarterback on third down that Dave Aranda created the old cheetah package and boom, all of a sudden it's like 185 pound Marcel Brooks coming off the edge on one spot, you know, 230 pound whoever was in the middle. I mean, it was drastic to get after the quarterback and they are going to be picked apart this year uh, in in passing game situations. Uh, by teams that can match up just one guy on one of these linebackers in the SEC and get them loose. So they're going to have to come up with some sort of passing game, stopping back seven uh, that they can rely on. And I think they're going to have to get drastic with it in some way. And so if you're asking me who I want to see play more, 
I probably want to see the fastest guys on the team get looks in the passing game, see if they can stretch the field, see if they can get them in crossing routes and, and get them catching the ball in space. You know, a, a very simple bubble screen with, you know, get the numbers right, get them in space, let them make plays. I mean, do those things that, gosh, I mean, we all know Joe Burrow was great, but also he had some really fast, talented wide receivers to just get the ball to in the short and intermediate game too and let them make plays. And that's the thing that's most concerning is right now there's just not enough separation from these receivers that are healthy enough to play in the passing game outside of Kayshawn Butte, and they've got to create matchups with guys with speed that can run away from defensive backs or at least create a little bit of separation so Max Johnson can get them the ball and allow them to make plays. Defensively, they need to get some better speed, uh, at least you know in the safety and linebacker position to stop some of these passing games because otherwise SEC teams are just going to feast, quite honestly, in the passing game. Yeah, I think, golly. And look, I put this in my – when we talked about it Friday, I said, here are my final thoughts. And I was looking through UCLA's stuff from a year ago, and Greg Dulcich, the tight end who crushed them and went for over 100 yards, was the number two tight end in the country last year in terms of yards, yards per catch, 20, yards per game, 80. So no doubt he was a real deal. Then you look what he did against Hawaii. They threw him the ball once. So you knew that they were, watch, we'll we'll get LSU. We know their linebackers are not going to be able to cover him, and they just abused him. I mean, what would happen if LSU was playing Kyle Pitts this year? He would have 200 yards in the game. So I think one fear for me, to match what you said, about maybe that means Mike Jones getting out there. I don't know. But um, Blake Baker, Dronte Jones, I know that they'll be busy at work trying to figure that out because each week look at whoever the tight end is on the other team. And if they're good and they ride them a lot, LSU might be in a little bit of trouble because right now they proved that they couldn't cover any of them, let alone running backs coming out of the flats, which Clark and Baskerville got beat or excuse me, maybe it was Baskerville and strong got beat on, uh, on plays where they put got you know, the running back up down, up down uh, into the flats or up the sideline or whatever it was. Uh, and they had five yards of separation. It wasn't even close. So that's a worry for me. Sure. Um, I'll roll with the guys I want to see play more. And I, I'm interested to see what happens with Mike Jones. I am. That's a bit of an unknown. I want to see, and I asked O about this because I asked him, hey, look, you go into a game like this with McNeese thinking, and, and knowing how you just played last week, that, hey, we sh- should shake things up and put some other guys out there. And we know we'd still win, but let's see what these other guys can do. Or do we stick with who we got and try to get it, get some rhythm, right? Try to perfect what we thought were the best 20-something guys in camp and stick with them. And he said, that's the plan is stick with these guys. No wholesale changes, but he did mention wanting to get Garrett Nussmeyer involved. He did mention, and I don't mean taking over for Max Johnson. He just said, Hey, look, this is a game where we need to get Nuss in there and get some reps. And, and he said the same for Corey Kiner. And he said, look, Kiner, that's a big spot for a freshman to be in. They threw out Josh Williams out there. They felt like as a veteran, the moment wouldn't be too big for him. Now you get back home against an FCS team. Then you get Kiner out there. I, I get it. But I asked him, I said, well, what about Brian Thomas and Jack Besh? Because you threw to him once. They both looked great out there. And then Pete's never went back to him again. And he was quick to say, hey, look, that's getting fixed. Jack Besh will be on the field a lot. Brian Thomas is going to be on the field a lot. And we're going to go heavy to those guys this year. So as they try to find someone who can step up for them beyond Butte, and, and we saw that kind of their guys were Jure and Trey Palmer, who they force fed and, and Coy, who had a good game. I mean, Coy might have had four targets, but he caught all the passes. He got him a couple of first downs. I mean, there were times when Trey Palmer alligator armed a few of the plays. And uh, there were times where Jenkins wasn't getting great separation. So 
I would think that they're going to, and, and O said it, so I would think that he's probably trying to relay that to Pete's of Brian Thomas, Jack Bash, you're getting now Deion Smith back this week. These are real deal dudes, and even though they're just freshmen, put them out there. The game ain't too big for them. We've already seen that they could go out there and just catch the football, make a play afterwards, get you some more yards, and move forward. Don't do that and then just tell them to hang out on the sidelines the rest of the game. So I would imagine, and like I said, O said they're going to do it, but these next two weeks, you better be getting Besh and Brian Thomas and these young guys out there as much as possible because you need to figure out what your wide receiver pecking order is who you can truly trust. And like you said, who's got the speed to get open? Who can get, you know, make plays in space? If that's what this offense is all about, oh, we want to be – um, you know, a spread offense that runs some tempo. It's really just the only point is to get our guys, best athletes in the space and get the ball to them. Great. Why, aren't, why are you not doing it? Like there's better athletes that are not playing right now, at least in terms of kind of what you know of their overall athletic profile. And, and that's not some major knock on everyone else in the receiver room at all. I expect all those guys to play, but give these young guys a chance. And, and I think these next two weeks playing McNeese and Central Michigan are a perfect time for that to happen. Completely agree. So we'll be back later in the week with another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Uh, should be a brighter preview of the McNeese uh, game than recapping what was a very difficult 38-27 loss for LSU to kick off the season. Tigers fell out of both the coaches and AP Top 25 polls and lost back-to-back season openers for the first time since 91-92. So not good overall. And UCLA slid right into the number 16 spot. It was just a nice little swap there of, Okay, LSU, you can be unranked now, and UCLA, you get to be number sixteen. The old, the old switcheroo. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, with that, we're gonna wrap up this edition of the Go Twenty Four Seven podcast for Shay Dixon. I'm Billy Embody. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will catch you guys later in the week as uh, we get ready to kick off LSU's home slate Saturday against McNeese State. Cody Ogeron, Frank Wilson head into Tiger Stadium to face LSU. So be sure to check out Go247 for more preview uh, content on that, as well as recruiting as always. So thanks for listening to this edition, and we'll catch you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.